Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Please welcome Logan Gentry. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Nope, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not good at a teleprompter. Here's the rest of the scripture. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious in anything. Exactly. Do not be anxious that you can't read the teleprompter. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, please. Oh, now there's more. Oh, my gosh. Logan is going to fire me. It's like, you can't even read the thing. All right, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now Logan's coming, and he knows what he has to say this morning and will not stumble. Happy birthday, Marcy. Um, have you ever been to a destination that was absolutely amazing, but the journey to get there was really hard? Um, for my wife and I, that was uh, our honeymoon. Um, we got married on August 28th, 2005. And on August 29th, we set out for Aruba. We were flying out of Austin where we got married to Dallas, Dallas to Miami, Miami to Aruba. We were on the plane, on the runway in Dallas, headed to Miami, when the pilot came over to announce Hurricane Katrina that had hit New Orleans this morning um, had taken out the radar in Memphis, Tennessee. We we're going to turn back to the airport and deplane. And all I'm thinking with all of my love and care for New Orleans is fly around that hurricane. <laughs> Memphis is up here. Miami is down here. Just go below it. I have a destination to reach. I actually thought that. Um, eventually, the radar was restored and we made our way from Dallas to Miami, but we missed our flight from Miami to Aruba. The gate agent said, don't worry, we'll have some hotel vouchers for you. If you go to the front desk, it'll be fine. So we go to the front desk and they say, I'm sorry, sir. This is the weekend of the MTV VMA Awards here in Miami. The closest hotel we have is an hour and away. And by the way, you cannot have your bags. We will keep them. And so you can have them tomorrow when you come back to continue your flight. So we traveled by Uber. I don't think Uber didn't exist at that time. We traveled by some random taxi. Luckily, we found a hotel without our luggage, without a change of clothes. And then the next morning, uh, by God's grace, we got upgraded to first class and made our way to yeah. Aruba. Yeah. The destination was amazing. And the journey was hard. Um, I bring that up because reconciliation is the same way. Reconciliation is a beautiful destination, but it's really hard. When I say reconciliation, here's the definition I'm using for you today. Reconciliation is a series of turns to get to a destination of peace, partnership, and the presence of God. I take that straight from the passage. See, there's a few ways that you can read Philippians 4. You can read it as Paul's final to-do list for the church, or you can read them as interconnected. 
Because we like to take verses out of context and quote them and say, cast your cares upon the Lord and, you know, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But they're connected. Paul makes a direct connection from reconciliation to peace, to being protected by God and guarded by Him, and to be in Christ. Reconciliation, Paul's argument, is that reconciliation releases success. Now to say that, that means that irreconciliation hinders success. And we know that's true because Paul takes time in a letter to an entire church to highlight two individuals that are disagreeing. And he's saying what we once had was true partnership and reconciliation, releasing the success of the gospel to the Philippians, to our neighbors, and now the disagreement is slowing it down. And so it's important that you pursue reconciliation. Now that's Paul's argument, but if we're honest, it's also our experience. If you have ever been in an irreconciled relationship, it hinders your personal success. It hinders your contentment. If you're in the workplace and it's awkward because, you know, the person next to you has been a jerk, you, you've been fine, but they're, you know, they've got issues. Um, it hinders your ability to work together, to actually stay on a project and to move that project forward. And so there's a need for reconciliation. And the question is, why is the path of reconciliation so hard for us? It's difficult. If you don't believe it's difficult, you know, you haven't been watching the news and praise God, you finally stopped. But there is so much irreconciliation because it's hard for us to reconcile differences and disagreements, especially right now. Part of the reason it's hard is because it requires everything we've discussed up to this point in Philippians. It requires that you find your contentment in Christ and not in circumstances. It requires that you embrace a humility of Jesus where you begin to say, I will lay myself down and love the other person. I will not champion my own efforts, but God's. It requires that you have a greater goal than just yourself, that your prize is to see heaven break into earth. But part of the reason it's also hard is because you either were wrong or you've been wronged. And that sucks. And it's hard for us to acknowledge our wrongs or to face those who have wronged us. Even if there's just, in your relationship, there's even just 1% of you that was wrong. And if you think there was one, there was probably 10. So go ahead and you know, multiply it. Even if that 10% and the other person was the 90, it's that challenge to be able just to embrace, there's a shared wrong and both parties need to own and face it. It becomes difficult. And when these things happen, the question in our, our mind begins to be, can't we just move on? Like, there's bigger things in the world than just two individuals inside of a church community not agreeing. And Paul says, no, <laughs> you can't move on because the church is suffering from real reconciliation. And so if you want to see the church advance inside of a city that is plagued by irreconciliation, you must be a different people. You must be a people that believes that reconciliation releases success. You know, I like to imagine um, Epaphroditus reading the letter. And as he's reading it to the church, he's like, guess what? I'm back. Paul sent us a letter. It's great. Come over to my house. It's going to be awesome. 
And he's reading it, and everyone's going, man, Paul, thank you for this wisdom. It's so good. It's so good. He gets to chapter 4, and he's like, therefore, brothers and sisters, who I long for and love. They're like, Paul loves us. Where's Joy's crown? And then he's reading it, and he's like, and I entreat Euodia. And he's like, oh, because Euodia is sitting over here because she came in late and didn't want anybody to notice. Not that you do that over here. <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is getting awkward. And then he goes, and I entreat Sintichi. And he looks over and he's like, oh, Sintichi, who sits over there because that's her favorite seat all the time and she always chooses the same seat. Um, not that any of you are doing that. But he's reading this letter and it gets really awkward because the entire community is now known that there was an issue and Paul's like, I'm just going to name it. You guys are all ignoring it. You're all singing and it's great, but you're not getting along. And I love that Paul names people regularly and he's unafraid to call out issues because he believes that Jesus can deal with any issue that's faced. But in doing so, I do want to highlight two implications just as side notes. The first is that you are supposed to be inside of a community that knows your name and knows your business. <laughs> and we don't always like that. But that's what church is. And so this is not, there's no idea in the scriptures that you can be a Christian and just have a personal relationship with God and not have a community relationship with God. That's why we emphasize that we're a community church, is that you come in and you bring your business and we're unafraid of it because we got a Jesus who can deal with your business. But also we want to know your name. You are important. You are important to the body of Christ and you're important to this community. And he highlights that. But the second, he goes on to highlight the importance of women in leadership in the community. And I don't want to overlook that because the church, like the world, has too often overlooked and not honored the role that women play in leading his people. He highlights this and it reminds me of what Kara said a few weeks ago. There is something special and powerful when women come together to seek God and to love each other. She wasn't just echoing kind of some vision statement and dream we have. She was echoing the powerful words of God himself, saying this is crucial. And so when we ask the question, can't we just move on? The scriptures resoundingly say, no. It says, dig in. And so today I'm going to challenge you just like I'm challenging myself to go on a reconciliation journey. That over the next seven days that you choose just one person to reconcile with. Because if you're anything like me, there's probably a few more. Some of you are like, I can't wait to email you, Logan. <laughs> Calendar's full. Um, I got my own reconciliation workout. No, I'm just kidding. You have seven days. Because... It's already gone on too long. And so take these next seven days to believe the power of God can reconcile your relationships. And to help you along the way, I have three sections to today's message. Team, turns, and rewards. I couldn't think of a third T one without feeling like I was forcing it. So team, turns, and rewards. With the idea of team, the question is, whose team are you on when it comes to reconciliation? Because obviously the church community knew something was up with Yodia and Sintichi. 
And so in our middle school and high school selves, we were taught very clearly, if friends separate, you choose sides. If relationships go south, you choose teams. And if you're on Team Euodia, that means you want Team Euodia to win over Team Sintichi. Whose team are you on? And what God says is don't choose teams of individuals, but choose team reconciliation. Choose team reconciliation, which means that you are Team Euodia and you are Team Sintichi. You are both because you want both of their good. And so you choose both of their good by choosing Team Reconciliation. Now, in doing so, while Team Reconciliation is on the front of your jersey, you have to get rid of some old jerseys that you have chosen. The first old jersey you have to get rid of is Team Scapegoat. Because on Team Scapegoat, you are looking for someone to punish and to blame and to put all the wrong on and telling them to go away because you never want to see them again. Now, the idea of scapegoat is an English term that we take from the Hebrew law. It's from Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What they would do in Leviticus 16, it outlines it, is that the priest would take all the time he needed to put his hand on a goat to pray all the sins of all the people of Israel, and then he would send the goat in the wilderness. And it was this representation that what God wants to do is take away the sin that plagues you and hurts you and hurts others and send it as far away from you as possible. And so it was a physical representation of God's spiritual activity of removing sin from your life. Now we want a person to be a scapegoat now. We want to put all of the sins on one person and then send them out in the wilderness and never see them again. Because if we never see them again, we don't have to face our sin and we don't have to be reminded of their sin against us. See, that's Team Scapegoat. And I'm not talking about cancel culture. <laughs> I'm talking about conflict culture. Because this happens in any conflict. It happens in conflicts inside the church. It happens in conflicts in families, businesses. You want to find someone to blame and get rid of them. It's easier that way. But in, on Team Scapegoat, you're also part of Team Religion. Because you are believing that you're better than that other person. And so you have done morally right. They've done morally wrong. And so you can now ask, outcast them. And what God wants you to do is to burn the jersey of Team Scapegoat and Team Religion, just like Cleveland did when LeBron went to Miami. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, he left Cleveland to go to Miami. They burned his jersey. And I love the pettiness of sports more than anything. So I was cheering it on. Right. But we need to burn the jersey. Those jerseys aren't serving us. They're not serving anyone we know. They're not serving anyone we love. Because to be on team reconciliation means that you're ultimately team Jesus. See, team Jesus is the one who, when he saw us unreconciled to God, he came to us. Romans 5 outlines it and says, while you were yet a sinner, an enemy of God, running and rejecting him, that's when he died for you. That his love for you led him to run after you when you were running away to reconcile you back to God. And through the cross and through the resurrection, he says, Team Jesus is a team of reconciliation. Not waiting for the other person to turn around and change their mind, but choosing to go after it. See, that's Team Jesus. Whose team are you on?
Whose team are you on today in the relationship that needs to be reconciled? The second question is, who gets to play the game? I don't know if you noticed, but he didn't say, hey, Yodia and Chi, why don't you go somewhere and work it out? He says, hey, I implore all of you in the community, and especially a few individuals, to help these women, to come alongside of them to see reconciliation happen inside the community. And we all know that we need some help sometimes. Because it's hard when the issue is between two people to take the issue and to look at it separately. But when a community that loves Jesus and loves you can come alongside of you and say, hey, I know the difference is frustrating and you may not be able to seek understanding. It's important that we come together. See, it's a community game that we play and we all wear the same jersey and that's Team Jesus. While being on Team Jesus and pursuing reconciliation this week, I see that there are four turns that have to be made for reconciliation. So this is the second section, four turns. There are originally three turns, and then the Holy Spirit, like Siri, came and said, recalculating. (laughs) Because I had forgive, rebuke, and embrace as the three turns, and the Spirit said, is that where I started with you? No, I didn't start with forgive, rebuke, and then embrace. I started with a different turn, and that turn was love. It says very clearly, the most famous scripture in all all the Bible that we all kind of roll our eyes to when we see someone hold it up as a sign, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to us. And so when I say the first turn is love, it's this. It's choosing the love of God as the lens for your relationship. See, what happens when a relationship is irreconciled, and I can tell all of you are so uncomfortable. You're like, why are you in my business? Um, Paul's in your business. I'm just trying to help, you know, facilitate it. When you're in an irreconciled relationship, the lens by which you see them is typically blinded by the wrong that has occurred. And love is the choice to change the lens. To choose the love of God as the lens by which you see them. So that like God, through love, you can go and seek them out and seek reconciliation. See, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do you not remember the patience and goodness of God? That it was His loving kindness that led you to repentance. That God's love, His kindness, and His patience, that's what leads you to change. Not God's wrath, anger, and vengeance, but His love. Now, how do you choose love and what does it ultimately look like? What does it look like is a really important question because the scriptures say, help these women. Now, instead of it being some type of paternalistic and pandering language, it's very different. It's not a looking down on them, but it's coming alongside of them. The actual word is parakaleo. It's this idea that you embrace people side by side. And so the only way that you can choose love is if you believe you're on the same level. That you're on the same level as people made in the image of God and in need of God. And then you begin to go, we need God's love and you need God's love. So that's what we can do together.
And so choose the love of God as the lens for your relationship because God has chosen his love as the lens for his relationship with you. The second turn is to then forgive. Can you hand me my coffee? Jack's coffee, great for throats of all kinds. Um, To forgive, by which I mean this, that you freely give favor that releases someone from wrong done to you as Christ has done for you. Freely give favor. See, in this way, you're saying instead of punishment, blaming and shaming and scapegoating someone, you are providing the promises of God that a sinner can still be loved and that they can have the divinity of a saint inside of them. And so you are demonstrating through forgiveness what God has demonstrated through forgiveness to you. That you are loved and valued and that forgiveness has the power to release you from the blame. See, forgiveness comes alongside of someone and because what happens in a relationship at times is if you were the one who did wrong, you can begin to look up at someone through guilt and shame. If you are the one that's been wronged, you can look down on them as if they owe you something. And forgiveness says, let's get back to the same level. And it's freely given. Not in exchange for an apology. Not in exchange for them having a lifetime different from what they just did. It's freely given. How do you forgive like that? Well, that's why I watch Ted Lasso, right? I'm just kidding. Um, I just have to have a Ted Lasso um, reference in every sermon. It's part of my agreement. How do you forgive? Well, this is where you go to gospel practice. In gospel practice, what you are doing is you're engaging your imagination. And what I want you to do in engaging your imagination is imagine being at the foot of the cross. Jesus crucified, blood pouring down from his face and his side and his hands. And during that moment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they have done. And so you're having to go back when you've been wronged or you've done wrong to be at the foot of the cross. But you don't stay at the foot of the cross because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. And so you stay there. You hear forgiveness from the cross. But then you walk to the garden where the tomb is empty. And you, like the disciples, you peek in and you see it's really empty. That the wrongs, the record of wrongs that should be there are gone. That's the testimony of the empty tomb, is that the wrongs that you have done have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, the scriptures say, because of the work of Jesus Christ. If you don't do this practice of forgiveness, what people will receive from you is not love, but often wrath. These are two things that you can do separate from the person. The first turns do not require the individual to be there to say, I'm going to choose love as the lens by which I see them. And second, I'm going to forgive them before I approach them. That's hard, (laughs) but it's really good because God was so ready to forgive even those who were crucified. The third turn is that you rebuke. 
See, sometimes some of us are avoiders and they would love to forgive and never confront the actual sin that has gone on. But the scriptures don't let us free from that. See, the third rebuke is this, that you would gently correct your brother or sister back to Jesus and his way of life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says it in this way. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently. See, you do love and forgiveness first because you want to get to the point where you can speak the wrong without the wrath. Do you want to be able to speak and name what has happened wrong without the wrath of your frustration that it happened in the first place? Because your goal is to remove the wrong from that person. To remove it from their life so that they don't do it again because it's not good for them or others. To remove the wrong, not reward them with forgiveness. To remove the wrong, not ruin the relationship with wrath. But that through your correction, they might be directed back where? To Jesus in his way of life, not back to you. They don't need to conform to you. They don't need to conform to your preferences, your ideas. They need to come back to Jesus. And it's his way of life that you're wanting them to walk in line with, to live by the Spirit, as Galatians 6.1 put it. And so we are able to love, forgive, and then we rebuke. We come to them ready to say, that was wrong. And it's okay to acknowledge that. But I want to acknowledge it so you don't do it again, and so that I don't do it again. Turn four, which may be the hardest, is to embrace to embrace, that you partner for the gospel and rejoice in the Lord together. That's what follows Paul's entreating of Euodia and Sintiche, is that they would rejoice in the Lord together and get back to the work alongside of Clement and the other workers for the gospel, for those who are written in the book of life. And I use the language of embrace because I think a hug represents reconciliation perfectly. The idea of two people that have been separate coming together as one. And it's not that you will become BFFs as a result of this. The goal is not that you're going to spend all your time together no matter what. But the goal is that you would partner for the gospel. That you might be able to rejoice in the Lord together unhindered. Even though that is the goal, I have found that it does result in the closeness of relationship. Closer, my closest friendships, my longest friendships had to go through some rocky roads of reconciliation. These are the four turns that need to take place. Two of them involve you. Two of them involve both parties. Will you choose this reconciliation journey? Because The journey's hard, but the destination is great. And let me remind you of the destination. And this is with the rewards, because reconciliation reaps rewards. Let's look again at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. Should be on the screen. There we go. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see the rewards that are promised you? Will you go on the journey to get those rewards, to get to the destination that is beautiful, that is wonderful? He says the peace of God. That peace is physical. It is bodily. You feel it in your flesh. The tension, the stress is released. The ability to sleep again is restored. And it is psychological. It guards your soul and your heart and it guards your mind in a different way. And it is not the result of understanding. It is not the result of change of circumstances. It's not the result of a future circumstantial reality. It's the result of God showing up in the moment you need him. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. And it says it'll guard you. You have protection. You have the God of the universe defending you against what may attack your heart and your mind. That's what happens when you reconcile with other people is he just heaps rewards on you. God's presence is so near. It is that experience of two dimensions becoming one, of heaven breaking into earth. God there and nothing can affect it. But one of the things that I love is that your reasonableness will be known to all people. Think about that. If the world could watch us reconcile they might think there's something different and reasonable about a faith that they find unreasonable because they can see its power manifested in real life. That when you reconcile with a coworker and the other employees watch, they say, that's not how it used to work in this place. Is there something different here? And you can say, yeah, heaven has arrived. Your reasonableness will be made known to all people. So to be on Team Jesus, to take these turns, is to reap the rewards of a reconciliation journey. The question is, will you go on the journey? And you say, well, we don't know what their, uh, their issue was. You don't, it's not the same issue as I have. <laughs> this is the beauty of Paul. There's times when he calls out the issue and he says, this is the problem. And there's other times where he leaves it vague you know the issue. You know it's separating relationship. You know it is separating friendships. It's not about an, a certain specific type of issue that can't be overcome because every issue can be overcome by the power of God and a whole heck of a lot of counseling, right? I didn't believe that. And we believe that. I'm not going to throw some spiritual blanket on this. Reconciliation is a journey. It is hard. It is painful. It requires for you to accept some wrongs done to you and not retaliate. It requires for you to love in the face of hurt. It requires for you to be able to speak wrongs when you just want to move on. And it requires you to embrace someone that has been pushing you away or that you've been pushing away. It's a journey. 
but a journey has to start somewhere. And so I'm encouraging you to let it start today. And what the scriptures say to you is first be reconciled to God and then be reconciled to one another. We carry in this week so many distractions, so many difficulties, so many wrongs that we've done towards God. And we view that as some separating factor. But Jesus has already come alongside of you today, done the parakaleo work of being next to you. So you simply have to turn to Jesus. He's already right next to you. He's with you. To be reconciled to him and then begin the journey of reconciliation with one another. A few weeks ago, I said that humility is one of the least practiced and most missed parts of the Christian life. Reconciliation is the same way. And I want to be a part of a church community that is different. That looks a whole heck of a lot like Jesus. That believes that heaven is real and here now. And tries to bring it every single day. And so I want to be a people that will say to Jesus, when I needed reconciliation, you reconciled me to you. So I will choose to reconcile with my brother or my sister. Let's pray. Jesus, it's uncomfortable right now. <laughs> but that's often where the greatest comforts are eventually found. God, there's a lot of work that has to be done within our community and within this world to reconcile people to you and to one another. We confess today that we're really bad at it. We'd rather avoid it. We'd rather manipulate it into our own way. But you've given us the path. You've given us the journey, and it's a hard road. The destination is beautiful. Strengthen us for the journey. Work wonders today, as only you can. For this in Christ's name. Amen.